Happy New Year! This is where my Coke... Oh, that was a beautiful Coke can opening. Uh, it has to be done for our show. Very nice. I've got a cup of coffee because I'm trying to wake myself up after seeing in the new year. Staying <laughs> up to midnight is not quite as easy as it uh, used to be. <laughs> no, I must be getting old. Actually, I didn't drink much. I'm all right. I'm all right today. First New Year's Day without a hangover. I actually went round the woods looking for snowmen today. I, I'm not delirious. There were some <laughs> you need to You need to explain that now because <laughs> that would indicate you really are in a bad place. Well, like, yeah, well, the local schools painted some wooden snowmen and they're around our woodland estate. You do what three words and you get to different snowmen. It's quite good. Kids love it. I think they should just do it everywhere. You know, you get scarecrow trails that happen, yep. obviously, certain times of year. I think they should just do more of that. Just Yeah, um, they should have done it for charity. I don't think they did. Well, I think maybe... it's just something to lift people's spirits good in these co- dark COVID times. It was a good community event, wasn't it? It was. It was. Yeah, did you do it? I've seen a few, but dragging my children out for a walk is not straightforward. Yes, it's not straightforward. <laughs> Although I did manage it yesterday. Day. And they were pleased at the end of it. They're always pleased at the end, aren't they? Yeah. They're never pleased yeah. before you go. No, I think it's because the oxygen gets to them. They get a bit of a breath of fresh air, don't they? That's right. Did you watch some films over the Christmas period? Hmm. Whilst I'm trying to remember if I went to the cinema or not, why don't you tell us if you saw any films? Well, it's cinema and also watching on Netflix, Amazon, Sky. Do you know what? When I was growing up, sounds really sad when i was growing up uh when i was at uni i used to have this bet on with one of my friends called jill who now lives in new zealand and we used to bet on which movies were going to come up at christmas time you don't need to do that anymore because (laughs) everything's on because everything's on demand anyway i watched on disney plus in kanto spider-man no way home at the cinema oh just going to interrupt you there we might be talking about spider-man no way home later and there could be spoilers just a little note there for listeners as you were sarah don't Look Up on Netflix uh, with Jennifer Lawrence, like Leo DiCaprio, Mel Streep, Kate Blanchett, Jonah Hill, Mark Ryland, and Timothy Shalamet, which I was gobsmacked how many famous people in that. It was about a comet coming to hit Earth. Did you like it? Uh, not sure. I'm on the fence, to be honest. I was expecting a bit more seriousness, which didn't come. <laughs> <laughs> to oh, be honest, think, it was a bit of a dark, dark you... comedy, let's just say. Oh, absolutely, yeah. It was pretty much all comedy. It was a bit more drama in the second half, but I thought the best bit was when it was just all out comedy in the first yeah. hour or so. Well, certainly uh, Mel Streep and, and Jonah Hill brought that to the table, didn't they, as well? And I watched The Unforgivable with Sandra Bullock, which was on Netflix, which is very dark, a bit of a, a deep meaningful kind of twi- little twist at the end. I've got Planes to watch, Cast 3. I watched Monsters University on my very uh sort of days in the mornings. And then I even watched, get this, I watched an oldie, a 1959 The Nun's Story with Audrey Hepburn. I've never watched an Audrey Hepburn movie. Not, I haven't seen Breakfast at Tiffany's. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to give this a go. And I got in grace. She actually got nominated for an Oscar for this film. And it's got Peter Finch in it as well. And I was sort of intrigued what was going on with this and what they can and can't do. And I thought, is it just me? Or is this really, is this actually a good film or not? I looked at IMDb and yeah, 7.5. 
not the only one that enjoyed it. So was this just a film that happened to be just about BBC to start two. when you were flicking around? BBC, no? BBC Two. I think I watched In Between Planes and Cars 3. I think I just had a little flick around and then uh, landed on BBC Two. And there's the running a series of old movies over the Christmas period. And I thought, why not? I'll just sit yeah. there. I've not, nothing else to do. I'll just sit here and chill out. And it was perfect. Perfect. Well, the only film I've seen, thinking about it now, is Spider-Man No Way Home. Perfect family movie. Uh, it was. It was good, actually. And really, I, had, really good. I didn't read up on it before I actually went, and I was pleasantly surprised. I didn't realise that it was going to revisit previous Spider-Man universes, let's just say. So, yeah, I had no idea. No, nor did I. I was the same. So that was great. And it was also They must the have first... paid a fortune to get them back, though, surely. I think they've got pretty deep pockets, though, Marvel, haven't they? Yeah. And I also, I mean, I suppose for someone like Tobey Maguire, being in a film of that profiles, I would have thought he would have taken anything because he's not exactly a huge star now. Obviously, after seeing Molly's game and knowing his history now, there was one alleged, line in the alleged, film. There was alleged. one line in the film which I thought was very apt. He said, Spider-Man, how are you doing? Or something like that. One of the villains or one of the, somebody that was from his universe. And he goes, I'm trying to do better. <laughs> so it was just like, perfect, perfect line for Tobey Maguire. One of the reasons I loved it was because it was the first time I went to see a film like that at the cinema with my son and also my eldest daughter. First time she had any interest in watching a superhero film. So I watched it with both of them. So for that reason as well, it was a very memorable two and a half hours or whatever it was. So moving on to Die Hard, our Christmas movie. Yeah, absolutely. I saw this only today. So I must admit, I did watch it quite late I've seen it before, right? I've got to seen it before. And in actual fact, I watched it not too long ago with the boy. And it was awesome because my my son's very good at watching films of various eras, as it were. Because you're never quite sure when you're watching an oldie uh, what a 12-year-old will think of it. But he loved it. Absolutely loved it. And you kind of realise just what an absolute gem it is. It's so complete. It's such a simple premise. Interestingly, it's only when reading about it afterwards that the book that it's based on, I think originally was a much darker story. John McClane character was a lot older. He ended up losing his daughter. They replaced that with a much lighthearted tone with a younger guy. And it was actually his wife who was, if you like, the female lead. And it ended up being quite different. But I absolutely loved it. And Alan Rickman, it's one of those films where you, I think there's just as much kudos that is given to Bruce Willis as there is Alan Rickman. Do you not think? Yeah, I do. Yeah. And I didn't realise this was his first film his first movie ever did he'd done tv and lots of tv and theater before but he was given this role he had only been in america for a few weeks and he was gonna play dangerous liaisons and the director saw him all right he's the one Mm, Um, because he'd been acting since 1972 i believe and then yeah and this is in 88 yeah he wasn't keen on it. He was worried. Well, 
I think not surprising, I guess, if you're a thespian coming over. Didn't want to be in action films. And he did certainly didn't want to play a villain because he was worried about being typecast. And although he has played villains after this, he's also done other stuff as well. But I suppose maybe he was a bit typecast, but that's only because he was just so good at it. But you say that it is an action film, but he doesn't do much of the way of the action. However, you do have a factoid, don't you, on this one? Yeah. Before that, and this is going to that same point, Mm. what makes this film interesting is that you've got the goody and the baddie Bruce Willis and Alan Rickman but they never actually have a full-blown fight and I think it was quite deliberate I mean obviously we all know what happens at the very end but Mm. they deliberately wanted to make it a battle of wits and not make it a punch-up as you might traditionally get but on this first day of filming was the scene in which he meets John McClane, where he encounters John McClane for the first time. And it's when he's on one of the floors, he he basically jumps off this crate or this little ledge. I mean, we're talking, you know, literally a couple of feet. It's not like a stunt or anything. No, no. And it's that moment when he first lands and he then sees John McClane in front of him. Well, just doing that jump, he damaged his knee, tore some cartilage. And so he then had a week on crutches. And so you'll see when that scene cuts and they cut away to the police scene down on the ground and then they cut back to that encounter, Alan Rickman is standing. And apparently to hide this injury, they shot him waist up pretty much. And he was standing on one leg and had a brace (laughs) inside his trousers. And watching it now, it's interesting. They shot it on an angle, a slight angle. And I was wondering then whether they did that to try and again disguise the fact that if someone had looked really closely, he might have been at a slight angle because he was on one leg. So just for that specific scene, he was injured. So anyway, there you go, factoid for you. I did like the fact that they had had these two times where they could have they could have killed each other basically, and I like the fact that it was a battle of wits because otherwise, you know, it would be quite pointless. Really, just having a a, the film would have finished much earlier, wouldn't it? (laughs) Let's just say. But I always felt that was it was respect as well for one another. There was an element of respect and that battle of wits that was going on. Anyway, yeah. And going back to that first scene because this plays to this point of playing it slightly different with the battle of wits. They discovered during filming that Alan Rickman could do an American accent. So they decided they would actually get the two to meet before the actual climactic scene later on. And they had the idea then of him pretending he was one of the party guests talking in American accent because he could do that American. So that was something they came up with because they thought that would be a lot cooler. And it is, isn't it? That they kind of meet and then they part and then they come back towards the end. So that worked really well. I think it's those fringe characters as well. It's his chauffeur, the policeman on the ground who he has that kind of friendship with. And and there are so many. I mean, it'd be interesting to know what your memorable scenes are because when I watched it again not too long ago, my favourite bits is when McLean kills the first baddie and he delivers him in the lift and the lift opens yeah. on the ground floor. He's written on his yeah. jumper, I now have a machine gun. Ho, yes. ho, ho. <laughs> and the way yes, Hans Gruber, Alan Rickman says that is just fantastic. And my my son was wetting himself at that line and it is uh, absolutely classic. 
I'd forgotten that piece, actually. And then obviously after that scene happened, his brother, one of the other baddies, wanted to kill McLean, didn't he, as well? So, yeah, I mean, Bruce Willis, I love him. He's so cheeky and he was cheeky in, in Moonlighting, wasn't he? He was filming that at the same time as, as this film as well. But this was his first big break. He did do Blind Date with Kim Basinger, or Basinger, if you're American, but much lower budget movies before this kicked in and this really launched his action hero style character character really and it's gone on I, I was trying to look up how many Die Hard movies there were I think there might even be five Die Hard movies but, one um, two three four five you are right five ah cool and directed by John McTiernan who's directed some great movies like Predator Last Action Hero The Hunt for Red October as well and this one came after Predator which was in 1987 this was released in 1988 and then the screenplay was by pretty much the kings of blockbuster movies um, Jeb Stewart who did The Fugitive and you got Stephen E. D'Souza did Jumping Jack Flash and 48 Hours another 48 Hours The Running Man so you know had great quality behind the scenes as as well as the early beginnings of some greats in front of the screen, basically. And again, something I didn't know was just how well this was received, not just in terms of box office, but it did get those four Oscar nominations. And al- yeah. although it was for largely for sound and effects and effects editing, and it's still pretty impressive because you don't think of this film as an Oscar nominated film at all. But when you watch it, those effects, I mean, some of the scenes of all these explosions going on around the building, which were for real, and that, that building was actually the Fox Plaza. 20th century oh, was it? plaza wow. that was being built at the time. So they actually decided to use that as the set. And again, in terms of the success of the film, it's it's mad to think. I mean, you talked about, you know, obviously Moonlighting is what Willis was known for and he'd done Blind Date, but they were so nervous at how it would be received because he was seen as a comedic actor mm. that in the film poster, the original film poster, they didn't want to put his face on there. And it was just the Nakatomi Tower. And it was only after the initial response, and they could see this was going to be a big, big film, that they changed it. They updated it and put Bruce Willis on the poster. Could you believe that? Oh, right. if they had any doubts <laughs> over Bruce Willis. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Brilliant. I mean, it was a delight to watch it. Let's just say a real treat on Boxing Day when I watched it. And uh, to be honest, I hadn't seen it for a while and I'd forgotten most of it. I didn't even, as I mentioned, I hadn't, couldn't remember who got killed out of the baddies first and, and what Bruce Willis did to him and everything. But uh, he brought his comedy into his character. A lot of swearing, just to warn people. And also there was a few inappropriate pictures, I would say, in there, which they got away with in the 80s, obviously, but kind of gave that sort of real boys film style, you know, it was a real boys film, really, but girls love them as well. Yeah, so. I absolutely loved it. Absolute classic. Every time you watch it, it just holds up time and time again. Yeah. So we're going to give it, what's your rating? I think it has to be nine out of ten for me, because in terms of a film that just does what it says on the tin and just delivers, it just does. But, you know, wouldn't get a nine and a half or a ten purely because I just love films that have just more of a sense of realism about them. And obviously this is just an all out action thriller, but just superbly done. Yeah, I'm in that mark as well. I put eight and a half out of ten, actually, simply because there was that inappropriateness, I think. <laughs> I sound very prudish, don't I? <laughs> uh, but this way he walked past and goes, hello, ladies. He goes, and I was just like, oh, that's so, so, so cheesy. And then, you know, the special effects were fantastic, the sound and everything. And it just brings me back to, like, the Jurassic Park days with the, the small, tiny computers that they have. And we know it's set in the 80s, so you kind of expect that the technology is not going to be quite there. But yeah, eight and a half for me. 
Shall I leave you with one last factoid? Go on then. It's a factoid fest for me today. I'm sorry, but I've got to get all these off my chest. So <laughs> they wanted to really ramp up the effect you see around the guns, the machine guns, when they fired. I think it's called like the muzzle fire effect. So when you see that flash of fire on the machine guns, they wanted to really amplify that and they wanted to amplify the sound. They also did something to the blanks to make them louder. So that combination of the increase in the flash, as it were, and more importantly, the the increase in the sound, there was a specific scene where Bruce Willis was so close to the gunfire around him on set that he lost two-thirds of his hearing in one ear. And subsequently, he hasn't recovered that. And after that, has had to use a hearing aid. Now, I, I just find that... Really? Yeah, yeah. Now, this this is something apparently he has said. I think with all these trivial things, you see it and you, you kind of can't believe it. So I don't know whether that's been verified. But what I found interesting is that it was nominated for an Oscar in Best Sound, Sound Effects. They made that effort to make everything sound yeah. louder and over the top. So I kind of think, well, and again, pardon the pun, probably does ring true. So anyway, there you go. <laughs> I'm done. All my uh, facts off the chest. Well, I, actually, just one thing. I did really like about it that it got to the action really quickly as well there's no messing around no backstory really too much and it just got straight in there which made it more engaging right from the get-go I don't know how long the film was didn't even look it up because it just ticked along nicely basically and that's a nice segment into our tick tick boom film tick tick boom right so this is directed by Lin-Manuel Miranda screenplay by Richard Levinson starring Andrew Garfield in the lead role as Jonathan Larson, and then we also have Alexandra Ship as Susan and Robin de Jesus as Michael, his two friends, and then we also have Vanessa Hudgens plays Caressa performing in one of the theatre workshops, along with Joshua Henry, who plays another singer in the workshop. So this is based on the life of musical playwright Jonathan Larson, most famous for his musical Rent, which gained great success after his death, sadly. But this film tells the story of life before Rent in the early 90s, 1992. So we're focusing here on the week leading up to a New York theatre workshop of his rock monologue, Tick, Tick, Boom, which was named as such because of this constant ticking noise that he hears in his head in the week leading up to his 30th birthday, all based on this desire he has to become, he he believes he's destined to become this successful musical theatre composer, but he's also concerned that he's never going to get that break. So the film is anchored in this theatre workshop performance, and it flashes back to parts of his life that inspired it. His love, friendships, many of his friends living with HIV AIDS, which is another part of this film, and just in general, the pressures of life uh, as a creative artist and the struggle with that in New York City. So that's the setup. Having known nothing about Jonathan Larson, I'm not big into my musical theatre at all. I didn't know that he was responsible for Rent. I think what drew me to the film was just it's Andrew Garfield who I respect as an actor I think he's pretty good and obviously it was going to be curious to see what he's like in a role singing yeah that's what it was for me and I was pleasantly surprised so first of all let me know what you think 
Well, it's interesting, isn't it, that theatre is coming to the movies because we've got had Steven Spielberg's West Side Story recently and now we've just had this Tick, Tick, Boom. I did go and watch Rent. I've been to New York and I watched Rent. It wasn't my first choice to go and watch that in Broadway. I wanted to watch another theatre performance, but that was the one that was available and actually it was a good performance and it did bring character in with the HIV as part of that musical performance as well. And some of the music that was played during this film, Tick, Tick, Boom, I could remember in that style was delivered in Rent also. And interestingly, you've got Vanessa Hudgens, who's in the film, and she was in Rent. Well, she certainly, I think she did a performance to screen as well in 2019 with Rent. And she was playing one of the characters in, in this film as well. And her voice is amazing, along with Alexandra Ships, who I've seen in other films, but I didn't realise how amazing their voices were. But and going back to Andrew Garfield, his performance was amazing. Beautifully acted and at times very wired electric and and he's a great singer and he suited this role and he even looked like Jonathan Larson as well I he's bound he has to be up for Oscar nomination surely it's just brought so much energy to this film it's it's unbelievable but very different character to how he is in Spider-Man I saw him in Spider-Man a couple of days ago in cinema and he was more comedy character but this was completely different and I know I could I know he's a good actor because I saw him in Hacksaw Ridge and he was fantastic in that and he actually got nominated for a BAFTA and Golden Globe in 2017 for that as well so I knew he's a good calibre of actor let's just say I love the cleverness of the songs and writing and one minute you're on stage he's telling a story or he's singing about a time of his life that week and then the next we're seeing him living out his memoirs let's just say I did find it though there was very little light. He was struggling with his writing and relationships. And it was very much in the 90s as well. Lots of parties going on as HIV came up. Two of his friends, in fact. So very hard times, I believe. And he was chasing, constantly chasing the dream. And when the dream came on the opening night of Rent, unfortunately, that was it for him. And it's just such a shame. And it gives me a bit of a tingle, actually, now I've just said that. It's uh, it's yeah, such a shame that he's constantly chasing a dream. Like his school friend Michael, who was in the film as well, he had this dream as well, but he decided, no, I'm not going to make it. I haven't got the time to do that. I've got to get some money. I'm living in New York. We've moved to New York with my buddy. And he went and did advertising. There was one really funny scene where Andrew Garfield, Jonathan Larson was in this advertising studio and they were brainstorming ideas for, I don't know, some sort of medication in the end it ended up being, but they didn't actually know what the product was until right at the end and they were coming up with all sorts of weird and wonderful ideas and any idea that came out of Jonathan Larson's mouth they were just like wow you're amazing you're like where did that come from and he, and he was like absolutely lapping it up and then at the end he just twists it and makes a, a mockery of the whole process that they'd been going through in this advertising company that was quite a funny scene but majoritively it was challenging times I felt I thought it was well choreographed songs were you kind of heard some of them before I feel like if you watch TV series Glee you would have heard that style of singing as well and I, I looked actually to Jonathan Larson and they had used some of his songs in Glee which I didn't realise so they've obviously used some of the Rent songs or other songs that he may have created so that was quite interesting and then the best scene that was really theatrical was when they're in the cafe I can't remember from life of me what whether he was trying to work out what he should put in the script at the time and at the same time he was very busy in this cafe because he was worked that was what he did whilst he 
he was chasing this dream at the same time to make a living. He worked in this cafe. And then you, you see famous faces pop up. And there's one with Bebe Newworth, who's Lilith Crane from Cheers, popped up. And I thought, well, she'd been in Rent or something. She's just a big lovey and, and loves theatre. And, and I think you found some people in that scene that are just really into Broadway and dancing, etc. that may have known Jonathan Larson. And this scene was quite special because the cafe front sort of collapses down and they still continue this theatrical performance as part of the everyday life of Jonathan Larson. And that's the only scene, I, I think, that was very different to all the other real life scenes. It was either on stage or it was in his flat or in the cafe. That was the only one where it turned into a, a very theatrical performance, which I found really interesting. I've been sitting on the fence, to be honest. I'd love to get your thoughts. I'm, I don't know whether I'd like it or not, to be honest. I think the first thing that struck me about it, and you mentioned it there right at the top, was the energy Andrew Garfield brings to it. I just found it such an amazing performance. Watching a film about a struggling artist who's refusing to take the safer option, someone who believes they're destined for greatness, living on the poverty line and all the struggles along with that, is a very, very familiar tale that you see in many, many films. And so I thought there could be the danger of this, just kind of not finding it that interesting, but just the energy and the confidence he brings to it, not just with his singing, which is, is just exceptional, isn't it? I mean, he's never sung before. It's just absolutely bonkers, along with his acting. And it, you know, never once did it feel cringy. I think there's always that moment when you're watching a musical, you're almost waiting for the musical element to start. And it's like, okay, are the characters and the performances going to be convincing enough to kind of swallow me up in a fantastic musical? Because you have to just go with it. It was a bit like, I remember, when I went to watch Rocket Man. Is Taron Egerton going to do the job here? Is he going to be convincing? It's the same here. And I was totally swept up in it. Totally swept up in it. I think almost purely on Andrew Garfield's performance. But there were lots of very human and touching elements to this as well. First of all, whilst he's consumed by this obsession, he fails to see the tragedy of what's happening to his friends' lives around him. You know, he's completely blinkered to the effects his actions are having on his friends. And he's also blinkered to just what's going on in their lives. And and losing some of his friends through HIV, I found it really, really hard-hitting. And that kind of crept up on you and really just hits you for six. And then especially towards the end, you know, he delivers this theatre workshop. It gets great reviews, but it's still not enough. He thinks yeah. that's going to be it. There aren't many people there, but important people are there. Everyone claps. and But again, he doesn't get that call from his agent. And when he does, it's, yeah, it was great, honey. Now to start writing the next one. And it's just like, what? But All start all over again. That's it. Yeah. That's it. And I thought it was also really touching that this is um, a reference to real life is that he was very much inspired and by the American composer and lyricist Stephen Sondheim. He attends the workshop and Larson, as I say, kind of sees him as, as this real beacon in his life because after he's delivered this workshop, he prays that he's going to come along and he does come along. And after the workshop, he gets this call from Sondheim praising him for what he did and just yeah. stick with it. You know, write the next one. That's what it's like to be an artist, but it's a real lift for him. And it's really sad. Apparently they had um, Bradley Whitford playing Sondheim in the film, but sadly Sondheim passed away before the release of this film, literally just a few days before the premiere, which I just thought was so mm. sad. And apparently 
he was so taken with how he was depicted in the film that he spoke to the director and said that the phone call, the script that was used in that phone call to Larson, in that scene, I mean, you don't see him, it's just a phone call that you see Larson take. He just asked if it could be changed slightly because he didn't think it was exactly what he would have said. But they couldn't get the actor Bradley Whitford back to re-record those lines. So when you hear that phone call, it is actually Stephen Sondheim's voice. Oh, is it? The director decided, okay, well, let's just record your voice. And, and just the heartbreak, I suppose, at the end of all of this, that Tick, Tick, Boom never went on to be the hit, but it's the fact that he went back, didn't it? at the very end of the film, he went back to revisit something he had been working on before, which was, of course, Rent, and then Rent was the musical that made him a star. And again, as, as, we just, as, you, as you mentioned, you know, he wasn't alive to see, to see the mm. success of it. So I just thought the, it had a real heart and sincerity that just gave it a real emotional punch that maybe other films wouldn't have on top of what I thought was just the most rousing and energetic performance from mm. Andrew Garford, who, who I love. And I'm going to throw another factoid at you here. You're going to love this one. Go on. Because there's a connection with the Spider-Man film. There's a connection Ooh. with Tick, Tick, Boom and yeah. Spider-Man No Way Home. And it is the diner that features yeah. Tick, Tick, Boom is the same diner used in Spider-Man No Way Home. Is it? How about oh. that? I didn't know, I know that at all. Wow, I didn't. pretty cool. And I actually watched them quite close. Yeah, no, me, me too. Me, me too. Quick. Me too. So I mean, wow. I didn't. I mean, when I read that, it's like, oh well, I guess, I guess, yeah. I haven't gone back to look at it, but I just thought, how funny that you yeah. watch Spider Man get the surprise performances come in that I didn't know about from uh, Garfield, and then you watch Tick Tick Boom, and then you kind of read that. So, you yeah. so I really liked it. I was, I was pleasantly surprised. I'm not a massive musical fan, but I would say almost purely for Andrew Garfield's performance, I would give this eight and a half out of ten. Okay. The interesting thing is, is also Lin-Manuel Miranda was Alexandra from Hamilton and Jack and Mary Poppins Returns as well. So he's being in Hamilton. He's got that theatrical background and everything as well. And this, I think, must be his first feature length directorial debut. What a good start, I would say. Is it as good as La La Land? It's different. I haven't seen West Side Story. I've been sitting on a fence because if I had gone to see Jonathan Larson performing his, you know, life story, would I have been engaged and interested? I'm not sure. But it was interesting how it sort of morphs in and out of those different scenes, really. And you're right, Andrew Garfield is amazing in this film. He really is. Because I am slightly on the fence. I don't think I really want to watch it for a little while. I'm going to give it eight out of ten. That's Just fair, Just simply, dudes. it didn't, like amazed me with the storyline but i thought it's gonna get nominations definitely i think for sound potentially for set design and andrew garfield leading actor i reckon i agree with you this story or the life if you like of jonathan larson is not something i would seek out to Mm. kind of follow or something i would be interested in so I totally agree with you there. And you also mentioned it then. I do think it's a really good point. The structure of it, the way the theatre workshop performance was the main thread. And then that started to make more sense as they went back in time to explain what the inspiration was for what we're watching. I thought worked really well. Yeah, no, it was good. So we're now in the new year, 2022, and been reflecting on the films that we watched in 2021. Have you got any top films that you recommend worth watching or really enjoyed? 
Well, I was looking through all of the films that we reviewed, plus mm-hmm. those that mm-hmm. I just saw, and I was trying to think of like the highlights. They're quite predictable if people have been listening to the podcast, but I couldn't pick one, so I picked three. I have two. Okay, here we go. We're rubbish at we're rubbish at actually. I laugh if we've got some similar ones. I love. Okay, it. I don't know if we will. Okay, so Sound of Metal is one. I actually gave this, I think, either nine or nine and a half when we first reviewed it. Then I pleaded with Sarah the following week, can I upgrade that to 10? Because I think I watched it again. Yeah, I'm still, I was blown away by it, especially the ending and the whole depiction of the way they do the sound with someone who's profoundly, oh, oh Sarah's hands going up. So it was actually released in 2019. It was streaming this year. I know it was up for Oscars this year and it is on my top three as well. Yep. It was really good. The second one I've got, which is right up there with it, I'm sure this isn't a surprise to you, is Nomadland. I mean, I know it was a bit of a critic's choice film, swept up at the Oscars. I just love those types of films, almost like kind of slow burn films, very real, very gentle performances. I just loved it because I just thought, you know, for a film that could have been super, super bleak about a woman who's lost it all and finds herself traveling around in an RV with a community of people who are all, let's just say, slightly lost. As I say, it could have been really sad, but I thought it just had a real kindness and genuineness and authenticity mm. and heart to it and Frances McDormand I mean she she never puts in a bad performance so I loved Nomadland now the third one mm. surprised me but I'm actually going to go for Spider-Man No Way Home we, we oh, thought, really? yeah okay. I know we mentioned it at the very top and I didn't yeah. want to say anything then but I just really surprised myself I mean I'm not hugely invested in the Marvel films obviously seen quite a lot of them but I don't watch them religiously one after the other all the different films really get the most out of the multiverse story but there was just something about this film and just tom holland as spider-man and the nostalgic element of bringing back toby Maguire and andrew garfield from those first films you saw that had a real impact all those years ago and marvel do this so well but i don't rarely if they've done it, i don't think as well as this they just have this knack of being able to treat the action and the fantasy and the comic book stuff with just the same amount of respect as they do to the human element of the story. And I think that's why Marvel films do so well, that the actors who are playing these characters are really good actors. And so when they have those elements to shine and that familiar whole idea of Peter Parker, I mean, it's a common theme in all these superheroes when they're battling to try and be the best in both personas and the struggle with that, I just thought they really nailed it. I I also didn't particularly like the Doctor Strange film as a standalone film, but I like Doctor Strange in this. I mean, family popcorn entertainment. I just thought it it was almost flawless. The running time was, I think, two and a half hours. And I think I mentioned it to you before. I went to see it with child one and child two, 12-year-old and 10-year-old. And again, it's probably closer to my heart because my eldest daughter, her first introduction really to to watching this kind of stuff at the cinema, who said it was her favourite film ever. My son raving about it. And I think, you know, maybe partly because of that as well, it is a family film after all. I I just surprised myself. I I, I loved it. 
Yeah, my youngest, who's 10 as well, he loved it. And I think it's probably one of his favourites. And my eldest, he was so looking forward to it. I've taken my boys to see other films, but this is the most excited I've seen them to go and watch this film. And the lizard man made him a bit jumpy. So I held on to him for that one. (laughs) But because I don't think he's expecting this lizard man to be in it. I can't remember. Is it got a name? I can't remember the lizard man. Oh, I can't remember because there were were some of the early films that I don't think I did see. So I I think the, the yeah. film with Lizard Man, I'm not, I'm not sure actually, or whatever his name was, I don't think I actually saw the first time around. But what I love about the Spider-Men is that I loved it when Tobey Maguire was in it and, and being Spider-Man um, when he first launched this new new style, launched Spider-Man again, really. And then I really liked Andrew Garfield's character when he delivered it as well. And it just gets better with Tom Holland. He's, he's fantastic. So... You know, when you get Doctor Who and you have different characters playing Doctor Who, you, you like some Doctor Whos and you don't. I like all three of these. I agree. So, I'm the same. Yeah. I talked about how they always, Marvel just seemed to nail all the elements that needed to make mm. these so successful. It's the humour as well. They always nail the humour. One of the standout scenes of this was the mm. three Spider-Mans just literally shooting the breeze. It was like a moment before this climactic mm. fight scene, action scene. And they were just, you know, you, you had Tom Holland asking the other two, so, you know, who's the best baddie you fought? And, and, and you kind yeah. of, before you know it, that they're in this really bizarre, irreverent conversation, like yeah, three all, mates, three yeah. mates, like reminiscing. Well, they all lost someone as well. Yeah, it was brilliant. Universe, it really was yeah, brilliant. Yeah, really, really clever. Andrew Garfield was probably the cheekiest, the funniest one out of the three of them, though. But great film, great, yeah, great choices there. So for me, Sound of Metal, yeah, Riz Ahmed, about metal, drummer, Ruben coming to terms with losing his hearing. Amazing film, loved it. Interestingly, I want to watch A Promising Young Woman again. Carrie Mulligan was fantastic in it and very unhinged Cassie fighting for justice for her for late friend and written and directed by Emerald Fennel as well and it was in it was released in 2020 but I think it just nudged into this year I can't remember actually but I know it's in the Oscars for this year in last well 2021 Oscars let's just say now we've tipped over into 2022 and then this is going to throw you a little bit I, I was trying to rack I was looking through all the films that we come out this year and nothing really grabbed me that's why I have do have three The Mitchells and the Machines stood out for me as well as you know it's animated comedy about a dysfunctional family battling with robot apocalypse with Mayor Rudolph as Mum Mitchell and, and Livia Coleman as Pal and I've not seen an animated feature film in that way before and I thought it was very cleverly done so those are my top three from last year fantastic and do you know what was my number four that didn't quite make it <laughs> Go on then. It was a promising young woman. I was it. I watched it. I watched it for the second time about three or four weeks ago. I think I need to watch it. You do because it super stands up. I think it's almost better second time around. Mm. I I, I hardly ever watch films twice, as you well know. But I, I. Yeah, that was a cracking film. Yeah, it was good. Very colourful and just very unhinged. lady i like unhinged ladies and films they're just bonkers absolutely <laughs> absolutely i'll tell you what and that's a good segue to the film we're picking the newbie we're picking for this yes. for this week uh, which is the lost daughter starring olivia coleman it's the directorial debut from Maggie Gyllenhaal, uh, sister, of course, of Jake. And this is a drama, quite twisted, dark drama. A woman's beach vacation takes a dark turn when she begins to confront the troubles of her past. I mean, anything with Olivia Coleman's worth watching and think it's going to get some award attention, I would have thought. I don't normally watch trailers to everything, but I did see the trailer for this a while back and I was like, oh, 
got to watch that. So it's available now on Netflix. So yeah, I'm very much looking forward to that one. So what's this mean? We're back to picking out of the hat. We're putting all genres back in for a fresh year. So who's picking from who? I'm picking from yours because you chose mine, which was, um, trying to remember the film. Die Hard. Hard. (laughs) That's the one. Last week. So I've got horror thriller. Horror thriller. Be nice. (laughs) Okay. So I have 12. 12. I'm going to choose number seven, please. Number seven Mm. is A Few Good Men. Okay. I have watched it a very, very long time ago. First of all... With Demi Moore, yeah? Demi Moore, Um, Tom Cruise, Jack Nicholson. Tom Cruise, yeah. And also Keith Sutherland's in this as well. This is more on the thriller than a horror side Uh of things. Yep. This is from 1992, and it's directed by Rob Reiner, written by Aaron Sorkin. So, yes, as I say, starring Tom Cruise, Jack Nicholson, Demi Moore, Kevin Bacon, Kiefer Sutherland. So a very, very good all-star cast lineup for this one with some classic scenes. Military lawyer Lieutenant Daniel Caffey defends Marines accused of murder they contend they were acting under orders. Wow, that's very, doesn't tell you much, but that's probably enough. And do you know what the good news about this is? It's on Netflix as well at the moment. It's on, yeah, and Sky and Starts, now Virgin Media. So it's on quite a broad range of platforms. This was also nominated for four Oscars, including Mm. Best Actor in a Supporting Role, Jack Nicholson, and Best Picture. So well worth a watch. If you've seen it before, watch it again. If not, this should be a treat. Good. Looking forward to that. So we are going to be back in about two weeks. Is that right? Yes. We're going to try and turn these around in an additional week just to make things a slightly easier at our end. Well, I just want to say thank you to all our listeners for 2021 and wishing everyone a happy new year and to more films and working with you as well, Rob, going forward. And another exciting year. Can we watch another? How many is it? Well, we did 50 odd episodes with a quite a hefty break. Yeah. So what's that? We saw over 100 films. I reckon we can make it 100. Wow. 150 or even maybe 200 this year. Wowzers. It's going to be cool. I love it. I love it. I love it. I always love watching films from your list that I haven't seen before. I think it's cool <laughs> that we now pick stuff that's coming out this week that people can watch along to on the streaming platforms. And yeah, onward and upward. I think you're going to start seeing a few guilty pleasure ones, though, in, into my mix of, uh, nice. of romance nothing, and nothing wrong with that. De- dramas and adventures, etc. So, so yeah, just love look it. out for that. So, yeah, so happy 2022 and looking forward to seeing you next time, Rob. And you're not going to listen to the listeners. <laughs> How do we see our listeners? We don't see our listeners. I think we just say, <laughs> see you next week. I mean, who cares? Yeah. Well, they know what we mean. There we go. Should we say it together? One, two, three. Happy, happy New, New Year. Year. Yay. See you next time. Bye. Bye.